Hello, and my name is Peter Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners and professionals just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we're here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, frank and raw conversations. I'm buzzing to be joined today by Tom Reddy. Tom is an external transport manager, similar to myself, uh, and he was also recently voted an HGV hero by the RHA. It's an absolute pleasure having him on the show, and I really hope you enjoy today's episode. So the red button's rolling, and I'm joined today by Tom Reddy. Tom is a transport manager very similar to myself and uh, him and I have spoken previously on social media and another one of my shall I say social media friends that I've not ever met in the flesh or even really had a proper conversation with but I think it's great that we have a network of transport managers who we rely on and we build trust with and rapport with over social media so um, Tom if it's okay uh, is it okay to give yourself a bit of an introduction and sort of let the listeners know um, who you are and sort of what your background is? Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, my name's Tom Reddy. I'm an external transport manager at the moment. Also moving into consultancy work, this um, similar sort of thing to yourself. Um, I've also started training, um, teaching the transport under CPC quite recently. So sure. that was something I wanted to get into and uh, everything's going in that direction. Um, my history is, is in transport for a long time. Um, I joined the Navy when I left school um, as an aircraft technician. So I spent four years um, working on the the sea area, and then when I came out, like so many, I was a bit lost about what to do, where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up working for a laundry in central London, of all places, um, uh, driving a van. And then I just I got a real buzz from it at the time. I, I can remember certain feelings and certain experiences, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then they had a few seven and a half ton vehicles, so I could see the compliance side. My very first impressions of the compliance side there. Um, they offered to put me through my my category C. Um, and so I did that and then that was, that was it from then on, it was all like, okay, I want to do this. And, um, yeah, I've worked up through, Mm. through the years. I I made sort of supervisor there, transport supervisor. It's going back into the early 2000s. So London was a very different place. Um, and then, um, I got into sort of more transport management roles going via driver trainer. I know a lot of people ask like how you get out of a driving seat and into, into the office. It can be a difficult thing. Um, but I managed to sort of put a proposal to my boss at the time about driver training position. He said, okay, much to my surprise, he went, yeah, go for it. Um, so I did that. And then eventually I, I made transport manager there and onto the operator's license. Um, but also a situation many people find themselves in. You might be on the operator's license, but you might find you don't actually have that control, that continuous and effective control. So um, it was time to move on from there. And then I moved on to a, a larger fleet um, again in London. Um, managing a, a large fleet for the aggregate suppliers, um, the, the big names. I don't know if you want to mention names, but um, that's fine. No problem. By me, you carry on. Yeah, that was that was kind of my ideal job for so many years. And when I first got into it, there it was it was brilliant. I was loving it. I had my own fleet. I was in charge. I was sort of calling the shots mostly, um, just what I wanted to do. 
But then again, the trap you fall into, it becomes too much. You're doing 80, 90 hours a week, the double shifts, trucks running 24 hours a day. The problems never stop. And I think there was a few things wrong there, but I was, I was getting to the point of burnout. So I decided to step away and then made my way into external. But between then I went back driving um, class one and found myself driving through the pandemic, which is what kind of what happened. Okay. And that brings us to where we are now. Okay, yeah, fine. So did you start off doing external work pre-pandemic? How, how long have you been doing external transport I was, management? I was toying with it. I had I had the certificate. I, I've heard, I heard about external transport managers. I was doing a few things for friends, which was another painful lesson about external transport yeah. management, um, and, but not really taking it seriously. And then... Okay. I decided I needed better lifestyle balance because driving is intense as well. If anyone drives full time, um, hats off to you guys because it, it can be a long, a long week. Um, and so I started to push more, and then just finding out the industry from there, really, and the ins and outs. And it, it's quite a difficult thing to do, as many external transport managers discover. Absolutely, yeah. It's definitely not. It's definitely not an easy gig or or fast money, as some people think no, it may be. <laughs> no, there's that. There's a whole other discussion, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. So, um, to the listeners, Tom Tom's prepared uh, a half dozen areas to focus on, particularly as an external transport manager, which I think is fantastic because just to frame this session, uh, previously a couple of episodes ago, I spoke to James Adcroft, who's a transport manager for a large or compliance manager for a large fleet of vehicles from a corporate point of view. And Tom and I um, obviously share the situation where we're looking at this more from a external point of view potentially with some smaller operators and really being at the grindstone with many many plates spinning as well so i'm really looking forward to delving into those six areas with you tom and uh, and we'll talk about those in a mo i just wanted to probe a little bit more about um sort of your how, how you found yourself with external like becoming an external transport manager and you've you built yourself up into that role from driving so you've taken one operator a second operator are you now up to four operators and how many vehicles do you look after in total so yeah i'm i'm up to four and by saying that i've got three approved and, and one in application and we know how long the application process is at the moment um, and a problem that probably faces many other etms is you get one operator you realize they're an absolute nightmare in whatever way and you may have to let some go occasionally and so that's the situation you find yourself in then it's it's almost hopefully not a cycle of that but it does happen um so yeah i've got four now um and as as that's gone through i've eased back on the driving so i and my employer has been really supportive of that which i'm forever grateful for so i wound back to four days then down to two days at the moment i only do one day a week for them and that is coming to coming to a close because of course you have to maintain the these consistent hours with your weekly rest periods and all that sort of stuff absolutely yeah that's uh that's really interesting how you've managed to sort of crank that back as i as i started flagship and uh i started the business i sat there with my director at volvo at the time i was working for and we worked out like a six-month map over how i was going to sort of reduce my hours over time and do a similar thing so it's interesting to hear that you've sort of taken a similar approach um i wasn't doing external transport management straight away i kind of kicked off a little bit more from the training point of view and then and then sort of built up the consultancy clients from there and initially my first consultancy clients weren't i wasn't transport management for them either so um yeah no it's interesting about how how you've gone around that um one really important question for those listeners or viewers who are watching on youtube um you seem to not be suffering from the same challenge as i am of having a shiny head so <laughs> tell, tell tell me a bit about your secret of uh how to not have a shiny head because um, at the minute i'm in like a storeroom as people <laughs> will see with quite harsh 
lighting above my head. Thankfully, I mean, the past two, two, three weeks of that heat has been because I'm right on the west facing window. So those days, there's pretty much no solution, but two cameras any other day and switch between the one that's most flattering. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And where are you based, Tom? Whereabouts are you? I'm in Stratford upon Avon. Are you? Oh, okay. Uh, not a million miles from you, but yeah, uh, West Midlands traffic area. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. Okay. Brill. Um, and I think just quickly for listeners, um, one of the things that, uh, made me get in touch and, and sort of, uh, and, and, you know, I, I sort of reached out to you on, on some of the Facebook groups and that was that you were actually an HGV hero from the RHA. You were voted as an HGV hero. Are you okay to share the story on that and what happened? Yeah, of course. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, and very unexpected, the whole the whole thing, this, the way this has, has blown up. Um, but as I mentioned, so I, on the edge of burnout, I, w- I needed to step away from something that was on your mind 24-7. So I went back driving um, and I found myself at um, Arla Dairy, uh, near where I was working at the time, the big sort of national dairy in, in Aylesbury. And I was working there first as agency and then employed with the some of the um, companies that were working out of there. And um, yeah, I was full time and it, it was like, I remember so stepping out of the full-time transport manager work into a driver role, it was like on holiday and it doesn't feel like that now, but this, the, the stark difference at the time was so just what I needed. And I was loving it every minute of it, just being out there on the road, nothing else to worry about. Um, and so, and then the pan, all this COVID-19, the pandemic hit and that, that happened. And then I was very much like, well, there's not much else I could be doing right now. So I'm going to stay. It kind of all the plans got put on hold and I was fortunate and it's worth the shout out to the employers out there who who are supportive and are good to work for because in transport, we hear a lot about the bad ones. Um, but yeah, so I was just very grateful and it was a great environment and experience in itself. And for the first time ever, you were seeing that kind of appreciation. Now, it didn't last very long, of course, but people queuing outside supermarkets, they'd see the trucks pull up because I was on supermarket deliveries and they'd come over and they want to talk to you and, and say thank you and things like that. So that was quite something really. Um, and then one day I was on my way back. I was actually in your neck of the woods on the A47 at Peterborough. And um, I saw it, I saw it, um, someone on a bridge and you see this all the time. And normally you're getting ready to just honk the horn because they're going to be waving at you or something. Um, and I realized this guy was outside the railings. Um, and it, at that point, I was like, okay, this is bad. There's something wrong here. And it had obviously just happened because barely anyone had stopped. Um, and I just remember thinking, I, I better stop here. And I stopped underneath the bridge. And then another guy stopped on the other side and he was sort of saying, he was guiding me underneath this guy so we could basically put the truck underneath him and stop him. If he decided to jump off, that would be shortening the distance. Um, so we did that. And then immediately we jumped out. And we both just ran for the verge. Now, that part of the A47, there's no pavement. There's no way to get up to this bridge. So we were scrabbling through all the bushes and the undergrowth to try and get up there. And we sort of vaulted onto the bridge. And then we got to the guy and it was clear he was not in a good way. Um, and we got talking to him, but he, he wouldn't he wouldn't sort of consider coming back over. And we thought, well, look, this is a nasty situation. How's the best way to, to bring this to a close? And so between us, we decided, look, should we just lift him back? And then at least he's on the right side of the railings and we can deal with the rest of it then. So that's what we did. Um, and we, we chatted to him for a bit and then we brought him back down the verge to the side of the road. And I remembered something that was really disturbing about the whole experience was when we stopped and got out on the road, 
a lot of other people stopped and then instantly the phones came out and everyone's filming it. And I, I thought, I really always struggle with that, mm-hmm. that aspect of human nature. Uh, yeah. And then when we came back down, all these people were gone. Um, it was just me and the other gentleman who came up with me. Um, I decided this busy A47, which is a horrible road. Um, so we flagged down a, bu- a passing bus and I will forever be grateful to the bus driver for stopping because he just pulled in and said, look, we've got this gentleman. He's not very well. Can you sit him on your bus for a bit? And then at least he's safe. And so we did that. And then the police and the ambulance came. Um, so, yeah, it was quite it was quite the day. It's quite the day. I uh well really well I think uh, I think that's a fantastic thing you did are you uh, in contact are you in contact with uh, the others that were involved or I the guy who came up on the bridge with me actually runs a sweet shop out um uh, Wisbeach out that way um so I know we're, we're in touch occasionally and he's he's doing well and um I sent him a little present afterwards to say thank you for all your help on that day because it's nice to have someone there nice. with you um nice, yeah but the actual gentleman himself because of um, I'm not a family member. I couldn't get in touch with him. And the hospital can't tell you anything. And, no, and that's as it should be, really. Yeah, of course. I hope he's doing okay or better than he was and, and got that help. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Then, okay. And then tell me a bit more then about how, how that came to become uh, part of the uh, HGV Hero. What, what happened there? And obviously there's some press around it and stuff as well. Unbeknown to me, my employer put me forward for this thing. I wasn't even aware of, of the award. Um, and then I came into work one day and I saw my face on the wall, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and it was like, you've been nominated for this and you've, you've gone through to this stage. And I thought, wow, that's lovely. Um, and I still not exactly sure. I think I know who it was at, at that, but I'm very grateful. It's a very thoughtful thing. And I, I, I didn't think a lot of it. And I think I got an email or two and, you know, you get so many emails. I just, I didn't really pay it much attention. And then suddenly it came through, oh, you've won this award. And would you come and speak to us? Um, and the nice thing was, between the incident and the award being finalized, my employer had changed. So I, I two peed across to the new employer and to my mind, it was not theirs to, to sort of take that on if they didn't want to, but they chose to. And that, I think that says a lot about good employers who kind of invest in people. So they invited me up to their head office in Northampton. So it's XPO logistics. Um, yeah. And again, I didn't know a lot about them just that they're everywhere. And uh, the managing director came down and, and the, the uh, Richard Burnett from the RHA and they painted up a truck, not with my face on it, thankfully, <laughs> like, a, like a nice paint scheme to kind of acknowledge it. And it was, I've never, in all my time in the industry, I've never known anything like that. And so yeah, that will stay with me for such a long time, just to have that time with those, those guys who are all super busy guys, the managing director of XPO UK. And he, he took time out of his day to come down for three, four hours and sit with me and, and we were chatting and about the industry and other things and, and the guys from the RHA. So it was just a huge, massive privilege. And my partner was able to come along so she could see a bit about the industry that's so mysterious uh, and she loved it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to the RHA and to XPO for, for doing that because they didn't have to do anything and they chose to, to do all those things. So I think that says a lot about that. Yeah, amazing, amazing. 
had to pop myself on mute then. Apologies. I had very noisy neighbours. <laughs> it was very important what you were saying. So apologies about that. But yeah, it's fantastic. I think it's such a good initiative. And I think we need to do a lot more. I think we could do a lot more to change the rhetoric in the in the industry. And I think the RHA have done that. Have, they've, they've nailed that quite nicely with the HTV Heroes. What you did was amazing and absolutely should be congratulated. And I think that we should acknowledge, celebrate success, I suppose, a, a lot more and celebrate the good things that happen and the good deeds because overall it's so easy to focus on the negatives, isn't it, all the time? And I think, yeah, there's, really there's, there's definitely, you can fall into cynicism so easily in this industry. And I think part of what I like to do is try and push against that. It's not always easy because we all have no, bad days. Um, but I just, I'd say to them, it's like it's nothing I wouldn't have done on any other day and just kind of as trying to be a, a decent human being, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I was I was very grateful for the whole experience. Really amazing, amazing. Okay, brill. So we'll move on to like the business side of the half dozen things. Then, so Tom has prepared uh, six areas to focus on to maintain compliance, particularly with the steer towards being an external transport manager and and dealing with small small to medium sized operators. So the first area is around maintenance and auditing uh, maintenance providers. The second one is around defect reporting um, and making sure that your defect reporting system is is actually working. Now, the third one's really, really vital and quite topical, I think, at the moment, is making sure that you've got a good quality contract to use with your customers. Uh, Evidence in your work, particularly as an external, potentially using site visit reports, um, which is is an interesting one as well. And I quite like to explore using that because that's something that we do do. Um, and uh, and it's good to hear that Tom does it as well. And actually, it is something that I've come across that people don't tend to do in the sector. That's something that's come through from a health and safety point of view that we we, we have used that system. Uh, five is networking um, and making sure we add value, whatever that means. So we'll talk a bit <laughs> about making sure that we add value. Um, and then the sixth area is around owning it and making sure we have a plan and checklist because actually when you become a busy tm with lots of vehicles on the road lots of different operators to manage it becomes quite a plate spilling exercise particularly if you're then balancing that with topping up your income through training and other bits and pieces as well you need to be quite proactive there's a lot of responsibility there's a lot of risk uh, as part of that so bro i'm really looking forward to hearing these tom so talk to me a bit more let's start with the first one maintenance and auditing uh, maintenance providers talk to me a bit more about that and why you think that's uh, sort of vital as an etm Right. What I see so much of when it comes to your your maintenance is it's either a bit of a second thought or the TM isn't getting very involved with the maintenance provider. And I tend to go the other way, maybe too much. So I'll be interested to hear your thoughts. But um, when you get that document through, that PMI document, do you how deeply do you look into it? Are you happy with what's on there? And does it make sense? Is it following up from the last one? There's a lot of things you could do. Um, and particularly when you're new to it, you may not know that these are the things you even be looking for. So I've come up with a document that I sometimes use, not all the time, because generally, you know, after a while what to look for. Um, but it's things you can you can check on on your on your maintenance provider and their PMI reports. Um, and I think it's missed a lot because you get the PMI, right, that's done. It's within the time scale. It goes in the file, whatever. But how confident are you that what they've done is what they said they've done? And also how confident are you about the roadworthiness of that vehicle? Because they don't take responsibility for it beyond the signature on the day. And then it's back to you. Is that vehicle roadworthy? Um, so yes, yeah, to give you an example of, of some of the steps that I take, I always bring out the previous report and put it next to it. 
and then eyeball them together because they lead in, they're painting a picture together. And for example, does the mileage go the right way? Is it even the correct mileage? Is one written in kilometers and the other in miles? Um, tire depths, do they go down as you might expect over a period? Maybe one or two mil per PMI, depending on, on your mileage. Um, and there's all these sorts of things. Um, tire pressures is a huge one. How many maintenance providers actually check the tire pressures and they're not just filling in the standard and I don't blame them in many ways because it's a time-consuming job, but a very basic one. But it does say in the guide to maintaining roadworthiness that is part of the what that you're paying them to do. So I'm not going to say criticise them for it, but make it clear who's doing them. And if they're not doing them, you should be doing them. And by the book, the report reflects that they should be checked. So, um, yeah, and driver reportable defects shouldn't be on your PMI, really. That's an evidence then that your driver systems are not working. Um, a lot of people pay that a bit of a casual mind because, oh, you know, it's a bulb out today. They'll handle it in a couple of days or, or whatever. You know that approach. But really, the only thing that should be appearing on your PMI sheets is, is stuff that the driver won't see, what the mechanics being paid to find. Um, and, and you go on like this. There's, there's a huge list of things that, that you can check without needing a great mechanical knowledge. We're not asking, I'm not saying you should be crawling under the truck and waggling things with a crowbar, but if you want to do that, by all means. Um, yeah, so I don't know your thoughts on that. Um, I think it's important. And then you can, if you want to, you can have a checklist, an audit checklist. And audit is a scary word for a lot of people. And I know it used to put me off, so, oh, audit this and audit that. And everything's an audit. But um, have a checklist you work through and then you can sign it and put it in with your evidence that you've, periodically held them to account um yeah, yeah so uh, i think I, I'll, I'll just sort of take up where, you, where you're finishing there so i i approached the tm role from a slightly different sense as well because my original background was workshop as well so yes. having come from workshop um i know some of the tricks of the trade i suppose um not that i'd ever condone any of them but i know that essentially that that vehicle is only as good as the quality of the technician who's just inspected it um, and in a, any given workshop you've got a real array of skill level of technician in the same way as you have the difference in driver for a vehicle or what have you but essentially we've got no control over what technician looks at that vehicle yeah. and over the quality of the report it might be someone who's newly qualified um, you know I know that they should be countersigned by a supervisor and, and that kind of thing but essentially is that supervisor you know workshops workshops are paid based on an hourly basis and they're their incentive is to be as efficient as possible with those hours. You know, if they're charging an hour and a half or two hours for an inspection, uh, £40 an hour or what have you, the incentive is to, to get that work done as quickly as possible and to get the vehicle out. So I think um, I think what you're doing is absolutely right. I think um, I think that's a really great suggestion is checking uh, a previous PMI against an existing PMI. Um, I think, you know, I've certainly brought drivers to task over defects, you know, defects that have appeared at service. It's like, why on earth is this like, why is this on the service sheet? Like, if we got investigated on that, that would be an absolute disaster because it just demonstrates that you're not you're not doing what you need to do when you do your daily checks and and um, and carrying those out. And then, I guess the other the other point I make is that particularly, I think GV seventy nine Annex D time when you use a new provider, one of the things I do is I make sure I go down there and have a chat with them. Yes. Um, and uh, I think that's uh, the point you raised there. I think it's vital is to go and see and feel them. It's something that. Um, 
I have like a I have a checklist as well of things that I expect to go and see. So I find out what their break role is like. I make sure that they're um, you know, have they got a taco center? Who do they subcontract to if they use other people? What's the MOT lane? You know, have they got other other um rollers calibrated, other other um headlamp testers calibrated? Um, do they use pips? Do they use lifts? How how are their technicians trained? Have the technicians got um Ertec, which means that they've got like current competence. So that's a really good qualification. It's a five yearly qualification, similar to TMCPC. Yep. But if you're working with an if you're working with a maintenance provider and they've got Ertec approved guys, um, then they're requalifying every five years on their competence as well, which I think is vitally important as well because vehicles are evolving right and um and maintenance providers need to do the same so i think earthex really good understanding what their mot preparations like as well um you know do they counter or do they double inspect does a does a, a an inspecting technician look and then a supervisor double check before uh, test what's their mot pass rate um you know it all sounds sort of quite basic but i think i think that probably slips a lot of tms by um to be fair looking at those things um, I'm very big on personal relationships in the industry in general. Um, mm-hmm. Networking over the years has been huge for me, but to go and see your your mechanics or your workshop controller, and it's it, you will learn a huge amount just from that half an hour visit. How much time have they got for you as this new guy walking through the door that they don't know? Um, a shout out for a DAF dealer in Birmingham recently who I messaged a very short note and said, I, I need to come down. There's a vehicle in there. My operators, you don't know me. Is it all right to come down? I said, yeah. They sat me down, we had a good chat. And that goes such a long way to building your confidence that they're going to take care of those vehicles for you. And so I tend to take ownership of the maintenance, if I'm honest, from the operator, unless they really want to do it. I will say, look, I'll book them in. I'll speak to them. I'll review the sheets and I'll give you the feedback. Mm-hmm. And then you have peace of mind then. But it's so yeah, important to, to know what, the work they're doing. One of the things I've learned, actually, which hopefully might give people some value as well, is I really, really upset a maintenance provider once, um, quite early on um, when I was an ETM, because quite early on they'd had an MOT failure. I'd been to see them, but I'd not shown them previously what what I did when that happens. And one of the things that I picked up having worked in the workshop, and particularly from some of the bigger operators, is they have this MOT failure investigation process. Um, And I've then implemented that with my operators as well. So regardless of what the failure is, regardless of how silly or, or, you know, whatever it may be, um, a failure is a failure and therefore it goes through the process. So I have an MOT failure investigation process, which I'd recommend. I'm, I'm happy to share if people want to reach out and, and, and speak to me about it, but essentially it just covers what went wrong. How was it reported? Did it follow how we want it to be reported? I.e., was I notified? Did we have a conversation about it? What was the root cause of the failure and what action has been taken to prevent it from happening again? And how are we going to reduce that? Because essentially, if we're subject to a DVSA audit, they're going to expect to understand it's a bit like you're having an infringement. You know, there's been a failure in the system. What are we going to do to try and improve the failure and and, and prevent that from happening again? So, yeah, I have this process. So I kind of sent that over. And I've kind of not pre-warned them. So I always suggest that it's really important that you have, you know, and, and that's probably an error on my part because you've got a business owner at the other end who's very proud of what they've done. And it's very hard for them when they have a failure, particularly if they take pride in what they do. So the last thing, you know, you're just going to antagonize people. And I realized that sort of a bit too late that I just antagonized someone by sending that over. So a really good part of that initial meeting is to go, 
this is how I work. This is how I operate. Don't take it personally, but this is what I like to see. Most people, if you do it in a proactive way, they'll go, oh, do you know what? That's fine. It's like, it's when the horse has bolted and you go, Bosh, you know, fill out this report for me because you have failed and you're wagging the finger at them. But ultimately, um, yeah, it's a good opportunity to build relationships, like you say. I think that's what vitally important, isn't it? And workshops will always have their favorite customers and non favorite customers. So um, I always, wherever possible, I always recommend make sure your workshop gets paid make sure they yes. get paid make yeah. sure they get paid early yeah. um because if you're if if your operator is that one who drags their feet doesn't pay the last thing they're going to want to do is actually do any defect repairs whilst they're in yeah. because it's going to go to the bottom of the park because they're not going to get paid for it and i know because I've, I've sat at the other end of it yeah yeah plant it's plant the seeds early and I'm not saying it's right. There should be a standard of maintenance provided to everyone, but not everyone is treated equally. And if you make it known that you're on this, they are going to think differently about you. Like you say, pay them on time, treat them well. If you booked a time, get the driver there early or on time. Do not, mm-hmm. you know, go in two hours late because the drivers, hope, you know, all these things is this two way thing of respect, isn't it? But yeah, definitely, um, definitely. Yeah. I used to have, when I worked at Volvo, there was a, it was a, there was a large, large yellow, international fleet um who we looked after a couple of vehicles for from a local, local operating center and they had um and at the time he was literally like a real thorn in my side their their tech their engineer could come out and they'd have their own process for this and even our service sheets weren't good enough so we had to supplement it to meet their standards with with something else and you know everything was like by their book and if we wanted to do the work and then we got paid the lowest possible rate because of the size of the fleet so the rate was so low so the gross margin which i was getting measured on was really low and anyway um i literally i well it was just like one of the worst situations I ever had was an MOT failure. One of the vehicles we'd prepared, um, we we did we do a light check as we arrive on site for the MOT lane. So we we didn't have an MOT lane ourselves. We did a, a check and we'd actually started to, particularly for this operator, because they were so stringent whenever they had a failure or a PRS. Um, we'd started trying to go down the lane with the lights on. And some some DVSA uh, testers would would allow it. You know, they'd just let us go down and that would be it because you wouldn't have that little issue of just flicking the lights back on and there being a pop, right? But anyway, this guy, <laughs> they were all on, they were all working. We drove down the lane. The tester was like, no, you need to turn those lights off. So turned, my guy's turned all the lights off. And as he's turned them back on, literally he's had a number plate bulb go. It's just like, oh, nightmare. So we had a number plate light bulb go on the lane, PRS. But yeah, this company, they deal with that as a proper failure. And in he came. So I had like, I wasted a day of my life, sat around the table about how I was going to try and prevent a number plate bulb going again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some days, no matter what you do, transport is going to throw one into the spokes isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely okay cool so i think i think we've covered that really really well so i really appreciate your input there and actually there's some really great insights from that as well so the next one is kind of linked which is around the defect reporting system so talk to me a bit about how you do that because i think there's some great tips in the last one so it's very easy to buy you know your rha or your hdv direct defect book and pop it in the cab and tell the driver to fill it out. But is it actually effective? And are they taking ownership of that defect reporting process? And um, even if you're using an app, maybe, is that working as it, as it should? Because apps are great that they give you the instant feedback, but they're also great to hang yourself with if it's not an effective system. And um, so 
it's worth taking the time and it's a whole process. You have a policy, you meet the drivers, you brief the drivers, you show them how to do the walk around. You show them how to fill out the defect report. A lot of this stuff I know external TMs tend to skip because nobody really likes that side of the kind of down and dirty side of it, if, if you will. Um, but when there's a defect reported, does the driver just report it on the sheet? And is that the end of it? If you're an external and it's a very small, maybe an owner operator, has he told anyone about that defect or is it just getting written on the sheet and the truck's going out the yard? So that's a mm. huge one. Um, and if he has reported it, what action has been taken? Does he know about you know any VOR policy you have about various defects? Does he know what defect puts it off the road and what and what doesn't? There's mm. there's almost infinite scope. And if if you're empowering drivers to repair minor defects, say a bulb, does he have to walk a quarter of a mile back around the yard to go to the van? Is the van going to be locked? He's got to go and find someone for keys to get a bulb and all this kind of thing. So it's it's all very well having a, a defect process, but is it effective and does it work? And are drivers going to actually use the process for rectifying a defect or are they just going to probably, because being a driver myself, I know how it goes. If you've got a long day ahead, you think, you know what, it's just a sidelight. It can probably wait or maybe the next guy will do it. All these what processes drivers have of thinking. I've, I've thought them all myself at some stage over the last yeah. 15 years. So you need to get to the bottom of your defect reporting system. And as a, as a TM, particularly as external, are you being informed well on it? Or are you mm. only seeing reports that may be built up over a few weeks that you've not cited or maybe longer if the truck's away and international. So yeah. really consider, particularly from an external perspective, how you're reviewing those systems. I think apps are great because I get daily feedback and my own particular method is I set the walk round limit warning very low. So if, if it takes um, anything less, like unless they do it over 10 minutes, I get a warning of a walk round completed too short. And so I, I basically get feedback for every single walk round that's carried out and I can see day to day what's happening and I can ring the driver and those all ping through on my phone as soon as it happens and, okay, it means you're never really off the job, but at least you've got a bit of peace of mind. There's just yeah, one example. Absolutely. But absolutely. There's, a, there's a lot of non-effective systems out there. Yeah, I uh, I, I, I agree. Um, I think um, that as, a, as an ETM, I think you're within your rights to make a level of uh, noise when you go into an operator about what the expectation is on on how how walk-around checks are done because that is such a vital part. You know, there, there's things that I think you can compromise on, um, but walk-around walk checks isn't one of them um, and daily checks isn't one of them. Um, I think uh, it's, it's tricky because in my experience, there are some drivers who really do struggle with the apps. Um, yeah, for whatever absolutely. reason they they you know they, they do really struggle with the apps and sometimes we've got to make a little bit of a concession for those guys particularly if we know they're often not the sort who are ready to race out the door and i'm, I'm generalizing i am hugely generalizing but it's really important i suppose to know your drivers isn't it so you know your drivers so you know which ones you potentially can trust and who will follow your process so you, you set your policy set your process you know i've got an operator who has it they have a guy on site so there's like a handyman on site so the drivers don't even have to do them they literally wave him over in the morning and he'll replace the bulb and it's sort of you know they can do it whilst they carry on their checks so the first thing they do is check their lights because if they've got a bulb out they, he comes over and then they can get on with their tires if they're if they're shrewd they might just be longing it out anyway you know it depends on what day they've got doesn't it yeah. um and i think um I, I find apps really helpful because as soon as there's a defect it, it's in my inbox and i know and um i think 
that sort of leads on to a point around charging and how are we charging for our time yeah, as yeah. etms kind because essentially yeah like it might it may be a weekly visit or a twice weekly visit or however much it may be or, or slightly less with some operators if, if you think you can if, if you think that's what they need however on a daily basis we need to ensure that those vehicles are going out with a proper daily check done and that there's no defects outstanding which are you know that are going to be uh cause it causes a challenge so um there's a few things I do, I suppose, that I'll share that, that I, I, I do, one of which is I do a regular audit. So I'll regularly audit on the app, who have I not had a check from and who are my list of drivers that do drop paper defects because they are challenged. So I'll do a check on that because the apps are really good to tell you who hasn't done one or what assets haven't had a check on them that day. Are they stood, for example, particularly if you've got lots of trailers and stuff like that? is that vehicle stood for the day um, or or is it out and, and who's the driver and why I'm not to check? Because the other thing is, is you do rely, it may be done, a lot of them it may be done, but they may not have had internet connection for it to upload to the... Yeah, there's, there's a, that, that, a whole that, new load of problems with it, doesn't it? These, it does, that. yes. So it's doing that regular check. And then the other thing I do is I make sure I do an audit. So I look at um, if there's a defect, which is, you know, uh, just to monitor potentially then I, I have a list of defects that i'm monitoring and there then i'll catch up with the guys that are on site all the time and go you know this was defected then what have we done about it where's the invoice that kind of thing so we can sort of tie everything up with you know that tire was this and you know we called the tire guy out obviously that paperwork isn't going to be immediate but at some point we need to make sure those bits of you know that all ties up yeah. really so um it's complex it's a complex it, it, thing i think that's the point is that reading the guide to roadworthiness it's very well written and it makes it sound very simple and as tms we know that it's a basic process that no matter your operation you're going to have it but when you actually start to unpick it how many places there are for it to fall down and you make a really interesting point about the circle i call it like the circle of life because i'm really sad but you know you got your defect you got your rectification and you got your invoice and can you tie that circle up reasonably easily without being without tripping over without making yourself look silly or is it just too complex to do that because quite often the defect highlight stage is not related to the repair and the invoicing stage they're two separate departments almost you need to find a way to tie that up and some companies do that through you know a defect serial number that's an individual number issue to each problem that's perhaps too complex for a smaller operator um, but the point about your defect register basically is really good. Did the vehicle go out that day and cross-check it against whether there's the report in for that vehicle? Very simple check, bit time-consuming. And something about that check, um, if you use an app, maybe the app is the same company that does your tachograph analysis, but they won't talk to each other in that way. So perhaps nag them about doing some sort of report that could automate that. Did the truck go out? Is there a report against it? Because a lot of them don't actually check that. It's down to you to to marry those two up. So yeah, that's a really great, great point. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a complex system and you really have to start digging into it and it's individual for each operator. There's yeah. no one size fits all. Yeah. You made, you made a nice point about having like an auto, an auto infringement created potentially if the driver's not taken long enough to, to carry out the check. Because one of the other things I've picked up on with different operators is, you know, with the app, for example, they know what the check is. So they'll they'll sit the phone in the cab, they'll jump out of the cab, particularly if it's raining, go around, check everything as quickly as they possibly can, and then just sit in the cab and just tick, 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 tick. And the, the, the check's done essentially in like 
30 seconds because that's yeah. how long the app's taken to get filled out. We know that happens and that's happening on a day in day out basis with some, some operators. And uh, there's no, I guess it's like the due diligence to demonstrate that the, uh, the check has been done effectively um, and for, for a long enough period of time, I, you know, and, and, you know, when you get into training CPC, it's an old thing. How long should a walk around check take? Well, ultimately it, it, it depends on what the situation is. As, as you know, you know, I've got a company who do, you know, they've got removals vehicles that do very light work. They're 18 tonners. They're on very light work, very short distances, and they've only got two axles. So the check on that in comparison to, you know, a six axle vehicle that's been driven through the night, you have not had anything to do with it. And you're coming back to check, um, you know, that unit and trailer, when someone else has driven it and you've probably not been on it for a week or you may never have been on it and you're, you're looking at it for the first time that those two checks are going to be yeah, totally amazing. different in there, you know, yeah. but that's, uh, I, that's something, you know, it's horses for courses, isn't it? I suppose. And as an ETM, you have to take that into account when you uh, approach, approach the operator. So yeah. nice one, Tom. Okay. Brutal. So onto the third area, which is around sorting your TM contract out. Talk to me a bit more about that. Right, so this is something, and we see this all the time, particularly on on the Facebook groups. If any of the listeners are on on the groups, if they're listening to this, they probably are. Um, has anyone got XYZ template for me to use? Have you got a TM contract? And I think I've seen three or four requests this week just for a TM contract. And there is one floating about, and a bit like the Annex D, it's, but it's trying to do different things. It will do the job, the template, but is it actually doing the job for you? And is it doing you any favors? So. I, I going right back to the beginning, you, you learn about contract law in your TM CPC. So in theory, you know how to construct, there has to be an offer, there has to be an acceptance and, and you know how a contract works. So why not write your own and then submit it to maybe um, like, for example, Mr. Chris Powell, I'm sure he would happily review your contract for a small fee and tell you if it's any good or not, but make it work for you. What are your, what are your boundaries? What do you expect? Because your contract quite often is the first opportunity you get to set your expectations. And I don't know if you've been here yourself, Pete, but you maybe you've met with an operator in the early days a bit quick. You say, yeah, they sound all right. You get yourself signed up um, and then they get started operating. They're so busy operating. None of the things are going compliance wise as they should. And you're feeling on the back foot because you've got a big mess to sort out, but they've already had an opportunity to get into the habits that are bad habits that are going to, make your life difficult from then on. So your contract's your first opportunity to set all these things in motion that you want to happen. And for me, it's things like, and so I would say to people, don't be afraid to write in very specific things that suit you into your contract because they have to agree to them. For example, what are your standards regarding communication? As an external TM, what's the acceptable amount of time for someone to come back to you on an issue? Because one of my biggest frustrations is getting hold of people. Yes. Um, hundred percent you know I, you know exactly where i'm coming from um, people disappearing off the face of the earth indeed. I, you've gone on holiday but they didn't tell you the truck's parked up for three weeks you've got a list of work you could have done in that time yeah. but you didn't know and all these things and these things still catch me out even today and so my contract is permanently being reviewed and so i have standards in there for communication there's standards in there that say if i'm not happy with the maintenance arrangements i do reserve the right to pull it out of whatever dealership it's at and move it to one I'm happy with and that that is on you and the you'll pay for that and and these kind of things and I'm making it sound very militant because these are my very worst experiences but you need to think about all these things not just the standard template that's been pulled out of the the stat doc number three 
to say what the duties of the transport manager are. We know, but how are you actually going to do them and how is it going to fit into that operation? How often do you want to see the operator? What are your terms for, you know, wrapping it up? What will you wrap up for instantly if it happens? And so you set the expectation and go through it with them. Don't say, look, you need to sign here right now. Give them a copy maybe before your application is approved. And so they've got it in their head and they can start looking at it. Um, and it's very idealistic to say, and no one likes dealing with contracts, but I think there's a big gap out there for people not understanding why they asked for that contract. And uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm happy with mine and I would show it to the TC and be happy that they would be happy with it. But I think when I started, I was in the same boat. I was like, TM contract, what? And so yeah, really think about, it's a document to benefit you, so make it benefit you and the operator. It's to protect them as well. Yeah, I think um, it. I tear my hair out with the template type. Every day. <laughs> situation that we see. Well, hence why we're both bald, I suppose, right? <laughs> it happened long ago, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you... Um, you're, you're absolutely right. And do you know what? I've not heard anyone articulate it quite as well as you have. So spot Thank on you. there, mate. I think um, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, if you, you know, I know, I know transport managers who have uh, had public inquiries based on the fact that their contract's not good enough. Yeah. It's not happened personally, but it's p- people I know who, who I think are perfectly reputable and perfectly good at their job as well, actually. In, in reality, they're, you know, they're, they're the good guys uh, that I've come across, but maybe they've slipped with a dodgy operator and, or, or you know, because essentially everything we do has to stand up regardless of the quality of the operator because we never know. And, and, and essentially one of the things that we can fully control, 100% within our control, is the quality of our our contracts our documentation um and the paperwork we raise and i think that is also when you first start to deal with people you can soon read them out with a good contract as well you can read those people out because you know whether they're going you, you can sit down with them and walk, walk through that um particularly I'm, I'm in the process now of reviewing mine it's something that's an ongoing basis as i hear about new things or something that's happened in a public inquiry it consistently evolves and changes um and yeah, I'm, I'm sitting down with Chris Powell. He was on the podcast last week. I'm going to sit down with Chris. I'm expecting a call from him this afternoon and we're going to have a look at my contract um, and make sure make sure it's right. You know, That's, and, and oh, That was sure a great episode, anything. by the way, Pete. That was really, oh, I'm you. hoping the listeners will get a lot from that. But don't tie him up for too long because he's working for me this week as well. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right, okay, I'll, keep, I'll, 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 keep, I'll keep him a short period of time. He's a busy guy anyway, right? Oh, so. yeah. And rightly so. Rightly so. Having yeah, had the absolutely. pleasure of working with him recently, it's he's yeah chris is on your side so yeah good guy okay awesome so uh, the fourth area is around evidence in your work particularly as an external tm um considering site visit reports so yeah talk to me about how how you look to evidence the report uh, so, sorry evidence the work that you do yeah i think i think this is possibly an area where a lot of people don't consider um and so i'm hoping it's interesting but how do you prove you're doing your role to the extent that would be expected by the traffic commissioner. So you might say, well, I print off tachograph reports. I review the walk around checks, all these things. I speak to the maintenance provider, but what are you actually providing maybe to collate all that information in one place and getting someone to sign as having acknowledged it. Now I'll admit, um, I started doing the reports for my own benefit. So I could remember exactly what I'd done, what I need to do for the future. And so I have a format. I work through all the main areas of compliance and I have, it's just a letter. 
just have subheadings, you know, driver's hours and tachographs, working time, maintenance of the vehicles, um, gate checks, license, driver licensing. Not necessarily every section every time because it doesn't come up every time, but those sorts of formats. And then I will go through with the operator when I attended, my hours on site, where I was, whether it was their house or their operating center or whatever, or maybe it remote work from home. Um, and yeah, your, the dates of that, what you did, exactly what you did, and any action points they need to take away, things you need them to do, um, or things you're going to do in the future. And it can, I know, probably made it sound really time consuming. I'll be honest, it is maybe an hour or two per report. When you're an external and you've got four operators, one of those, every time you visit, it does get a lot. And I've been a bad one for uh, making some notes and then putting it off to tomorrow. And as we all know, tomorrow never comes. So have this maybe as a suggestion, and I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts, as it kind of benchmarks your day. It closes your day off. When you've done all your external work for that client, you sit down. Um, and if you're an external transport manager, I'd highly recommend you figure out a way to sit down that doesn't mean you have to be sat in your office at home because it may not happen. Um, even in your car, on your laptop, whatever, get a way to write this report, print it off and get the operator to sign it as having received it. Um, and I've had some very good feedback from people with opinions that matter on this. And um, a lot of people I've suggested it to who's come as a bit of a surprise that maybe we need to do this. So evidence your work, how are you going to prove? Because people always want to know. It's all about what you can prove, isn't it? So yeah, people always want to know. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So one of, one of the things I do, and I think I think what you're suggesting is really useful. It's something we particularly do when we work with health and safety clients. We we particularly do that because we we it's like we're able to sort of stage where we're at with certain risk assessments, what input we need, what information we need. So today we've carried out this. Next visit we'll carry out this. What we need from you in the meantime is this, um, and it, we don't necessarily talk about the amount of time that's taken but it will say the day we've been on site and, and and that kind of thing and then that starts to evidence particularly the benefit of that is that the issue from a health and safety point of view is you, you don't go into a new customer and go oh you're safe today um because their health and safety system is always evolving and it's always building so by doing a visit report it, it demonstrates the process that we're going through so we focus on what's like most significant first and then kind of tail off as we start to work with a new customer over a period of 12 months for example so um that's something we use there and there's something i've started to implement with transport but I'm, I'm interested in people's feedback on this because one of the things i do how i've managed it personally because it's quite tricky to do uh a full site visit report with what you've spent doing this um spoke to particularly with drivers spoke to this driver 30 minutes <laughs> spoke to that driver two minutes spoke to another driver two hours <laughs> um but uh yeah i think so one of the things I do to keep myself true is I have a checklist. So I have a checklist of all the different things and some days they aren't relevant. So I'll just, and essentially I, I use a Trello board and anyone who's not used Trello, I'm more than happy to share Trello with you. It's a project management tool that's perfectly free, uh, great software. You can have a board for each customer. You can have your to-do list for them, everything you have coming up. And essentially I have, uh, I just work on checklists for everything. So I have a checklist build the checklist out if there's something that's a bit of an anomaly i put it into the to-do list which is then like pressing and i'll have like like must action and then like as i have time to action and then i have a checklist of stuff that i have to do every visit and then i, I tick those off but essentially do i save that am i good enough at saving that probably not you know um I, I, it's essentially funny you, I, you know so sorry pete 
Go on. No, you carry on. No, you carry on. I have to say, it's funny you should mention Trello because I use Trello for the exact same thing and the checklist system on there is amazing. Um, and I have these checklists to prompt me to write the reports. So I tick off everything that I need to do on the visit. And then the last bit of the checklist is right site visit report. And then because yeah, you can invite your customer onto your Trello board, can't you? If they wanted yeah. to, if they're going to use it yeah. and they can access probably it. Probably not most of the time. Probably not. That's the thing. You can <laughs> download these systems and I love electronic systems, but we know ourselves, most guys aren't going to use them. But yeah, so Trello is is a great tool and that's, yeah, I base, base a lot of my operations around it. Yeah, perfect. I think often, you know, essentially with the health and safety visits, um, am I still there? I've just yes, had a, I've just had a, I've just had a warning come up, so I've been signed out of Zoom, which is ridiculous. I'm still, still here. So. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I've just let all my secrets out of the bag out of the software. I use. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So that that health and safety visit report, I don't necessarily get the customer to countersign it, to say they've had it. But actually, I think that's a really good point. That's a really good point as well, is to make yes, sure so. that they've they've you know, they're acknowledging that they're receiving that and the actions you've taken. Essentially, I try and keep an email trail, particularly if I need things to do, and I keep an email trail of all the emails I've sent um, and, and, and save those. That's a good point. I've, to, for the record, I've never actually been asked to stand on these reports, but I just, mm. you know, we go on our bad experiences and then we try and put things in place to think, well, I didn't sleep very well that night. What can I do to make that feeling go away? And so this is yeah. my way of, of those doing those sorts of things. And I never used to get them signed for because it's an extra thing. You have to catch up with them. Um, if you've emailed them, it's probably good enough. It's just kind of a belt and braces, probably over the top. But just the thought, you know, if they've signed yeah. for it and then. No, definitely. I know that feeling as well, by the way. You keep yourself true by what wakes you up at night or keeps you awake at night, don't you? I uh, I got woken up. I messaged one of my customers the other day coming up for a fours audit and um, high abs. High abs, literally three o'clock in the morning, high abs going yeah. through my brain. <laughs> I, to the point where I almost fired up the laptop. I didn't because I have Trello, which you can have on your mobile phone, which <laughs> I then, I just went onto Trello on my mobile phone, wrote high abs on there like as like a high priority to-do list in the morning and tried to get some sleep again. I didn't manage to. Yeah. Um, but that, that's kind of the benefit, isn't it, away from having notebooks and stuff like that. You know, I've worked with guys who have a notebook for every customer and stuff like that. I couldn't deal yeah. with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, high abs. They kept me up. I, when was the last time everything was tested and had its examination and loader test and everything like that? Um, so, yeah, I had, had a real moment. But, yeah, you do, don't you? So it's you like what, what, what has just caught to that happened today? Have I let them know? But have I got the evidence to show that I notified them of it? And have I got the evidence if it, you know, if it all falls out of bed and the worst happens? Yeah, that, absolutely. It's good to see that other people have the same stress. As oh, all do. the time. But yeah, but you know, you have to find a way to to manage it because I think a lot of this is you don't expect it, especially isn't it? ETM. There's a feeling that maybe it's low stress or it's the easy way out or it's for the retirees, but really it's not. And there's a lot to it. You've got to try and get right. Definitely. Okay, Brill. So we're actually seven minutes away from the 60 minutes, I think. So we're, we're running running away with ourselves at item five. So talk to me a bit about networking, finding a way to add value and what does that even mean? Right. <laughs> so um, this is an episode all by itself when we talk about networking. Um, I think the key to the business as an external transport manager or, or any small business, and I know you deal a lot with small business stuff, not just transport, um, is do not be afraid to network but be extremely cautious about who you're investing in and who's who you're giving your time to. And I'll give you an example. 
if you spend long enough on that on those groups and i have tried to wind it back because it's a massive time sink um you'll find if if you come across well you'll get people coming direct to you and i'm certain this happens all the time um if you're not careful as well you will end up giving away a lot of your time for free and i don't mind to a point but i realized three or four hours sometimes dealing with one person who's just taking all my information and stuff on board and it's great but that's taken away from time that I've spent on, on my business and what's the overall benefit. Okay. Maybe I've made that person's life easier, but you have to have a line somewhere. And the other, the other side of it is there's so much bad information out there available, but it's coming from people who are treating it like it's, it's the truth or it's gospel or it's the way you should be doing things. And I just, I feel for new TMs in this industry coming into that because I think we are uniquely prone to this misinformation for some reason i don't quite know the reason i know you're passionate about it yourself which is you've got your own group on facebook and i know it tries to push back against some of it um so yeah i don't think i would be where i am today without some really great contacts i've made primarily through linkedin and facebook but i've had to learn the hard way to have much caution to treat it with so it's there's no easy way around it but you need you need to network to try and grow your business if that's what you want to do. Um, but you need to be very cautious about, about who you're networking with. Um, and linked into that when I mentioned adding value, because it's used to be the kind of term I'd hear and go, oh, adding value. What are they talking about adding value? What does that even mean? You know, is this like a supermarket? Um, but I'm learning again now, how do you stand out as a transport manager and how do you make the business come to you? Because essentially we're all in competition and maybe that's why it's a little bit of an awkward kind of sniping at each other position. Um, and I'll give you an example. Recently there was a post, what equipment do I need to be an external TM? And I made the mistake of listing the equipment I take with me. And I'll go so far as to say, I have an equipment checklist that before I walk out the door, I fire up Trello and I go, check, check, check. Have I got all this stuff? And it includes torque wrench, 300 quid worth of equipment, a printer, a mobile power supply for the printer, because I know nine times out of 10, some of the operators are dealing with, they don't have power and all these things. So over the years I've built up and I got a load of flack for it saying, you don't need this and you don't need that. But that's my way of adding value because I can come to your premises. I've got, I can set up my sad little portable table and my chair and plug my printer into my power supply and provide you with the service you need. And so I guess that's what I mean. Find a way to stand out in the industry. Definitely. Definitely. So be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Right? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think um, networking networking is vitally important. I think you're absolutely right in that there's places where you can lose your time. I, I I lost a lot of time when I first started out with the business. I was trying to develop the first aid training side of what we were doing as well with the driver CPC, and um, you know I was sort of shouting in all the wrong places and I was networking in all the wrong places and. The, the 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 transport manager groups particularly i i've sort of sat and, and sort of spectated i suppose and got very frustrated but i think i realized quite early on that that's not necessarily where my work came from so i have i have two two facebook groups one's for uh, transport managers where I try and have a genuinely true conversation with people and we try and get people the right advice that they need um and try and challenge people who are toxic 
in there yeah, because there, right. there's a lot of toxicity. Um, and the other the other one is actually operators because that's where you know essentially operators, transport operators. That's where that's where the business is coming from. So I try and do that. And uh, I think LinkedIn's a really good place for finding customers. I think the right type of customers as well. Um, you know, my my suggestion is I do occasional lunchtime lives and that kind of thing that I do. And off the back of those, I've had phone calls from really great companies like 15 vehicles and go, you're the guy to speak to about fours, aren't you? You can help us with fours. Yeah, I can help you with fours. Yeah, that's great. Let's have a chat, you know. And and getting in a position where you've built sort of your reputation to where people want to come and deal with you, I think it's really good. And, you know, I I, I do the podcast because I love speaking to people like you, Tom. I love speaking to people like James. I love speaking to people like... Um, uh, Chris as well, you know, and I learn from that. So I get to spend an hour with someone who I learn from and I develop my skills. But at the same time, I create content, which hopefully creates value for other people. Yeah. But also by doing that, I've put myself out there as someone who's confident enough to sort of stand on what they say and will turn up every week. And, you know, there's a new recording or there's someone else that I've organized to come speak to people and stuff. Hopefully over that time that pays dividends, you know, hopefully. Hopefully, I'm yet. I'm yet to know. I'm not. I'm no. Long, I'm no retiree yet. So maybe we should speak to the guys who have made loads of money and retired. Well, if you, know, if you know, if you know the secret, but I know you've probably been in this when you start, and you've you've got you're learning so much, and you're not very busy. You're very busy being busy, but you're not necessarily yeah. earning. But then you'll hit a point, and and where well, you've got how many employees now? And then uh, we're just about to go to eight people. So exactly that. We believe it or not, we registered our limited companies around the same time. So right. um, if you're ever in any doubt, Pete, that you're going in the right direction, <laughs> I have no doubts. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, that that's very humbling. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it's um, it's crazy when you start to look at all the different things you do, I suppose, and um, the different things that we do, and. Um, yeah, I think it. You know, it's great. Uh, those numbers we have. Um, a couple of Kickstarters have just come in because I want to introduce. I've got two really great young guys who I'm essentially making like transport apprentices. They're going to go out oh, and learn. Brilliant. You know, yeah, and, and 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 that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, no, it's good. Hopefully, we're nurturing the next the next lot of people. So that'll be good. Okay, mate. So I think we've t- touched a little bit on the last half dozen thing as as part of the conversation, which is quite interesting. But essentially, the half dozen areas around owning it and having a plan and having checklists. Talk yeah. to me a bit more about that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief because I'm aware we're, we're pushing on, on the hour. It's fine, yeah. mate. It's fine. Do you know what? <laughs> Listeners, we're going over an hour, but we've had a right good chat and I'm dead happy with that. So that's no problem. I think it puts some people off. I try and keep it under 60 minutes because I think it puts people off a little bit. But yeah, hey, do you know what? If we've had a good conversation and it's natural, it's all good. I think, I think you're right. With, with myself, because I listen to a lot of podcasts and if I'm not enjoying it, you've got about 15 minutes of my attention. But if I'm into it, I'll listen for an hour, two hours. Exactly. You know, exactly. so Yeah, so I kind of wrote in big capital letters, own it, because um, this is targeted more at maybe the guys new to it who I can imagine how hard it is going in as an external, fresh out of an exam and trying to manage continuously and effectively because we love the, those two words the transport operation so you really have to take charge of it it's not going to work if you just if your heart's not in it if you're not reading around the industry all the time you're you're not looking at applications and decisions you haven't got the documents um you're not getting involved with the maintenance provider you're not meeting the drivers all these things that i think are so important 50 percent of the job is getting the drivers on your side 
knowing how to do that. I know you can't learn that experience overnight. Um, mm. More requests lately for sh uh, shadowing experienced transport managers, which I think is led by the TC. I don't know, but I think it's a great idea. Um, but whatever you have confidence in your qualification, because it's not easy to get. Um, but you, you need at that point, you're on your own, sadly. Um, and you need to find a way to take charge of whichever operator you're working for, because you need to appreciate the significance of the position you're in. And so it's a cliche I, that I try and avoid about saying, you know, it's like your driving test and you don't really start learning until you're out there and doing it because it is, that can be a little bit patronizing and put new people off. But mm -hmm. yeah, you, you really do. You need to take charge of, of everything. And, and the other thing, have a plan about how you're going to run your week because otherwise you will find yourself overwhelmed, especially when you get to three and four, if you're not planning your visits, particularly if you do other work training or consultancy work or anything like that, it can soon but use use things like checklists and I have them for pretty much everything. When I go to a site, what I'm doing in a vehicle, how to check a vehicle equipment that I don't leave the house without because I sat on someone's floor when you haven't got a staple on picker and you've got no power, things like this, all of these experiences lead me to, to be where I am and have the equipment that I have. And I'm confident now that I have everything I need. There'll be something tomorrow. Like I'll forget my orange highlighter and that'll go on the checklist, you know, but um, yeah. So just, yeah, own it. Just take 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 charge of it and, and really fill that position because it's not just some easy money on the side. If you want think, that, probably try something yeah. else. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think if you're essentially you can't be passive. Um you can't just get be be passively involved. And I think there's a real balance, I think, where we talk very regularly about the technical skills of being a transport manager where like we have in this session we've, we've sort of given hints and tips and there's been different different things that we've discussed and then there, there is the softer skilled element which is about how we interact with the other stakeholders around us so the drivers the other transport people planners owners company owners etc and i think um nurturing those skills are vitally important and if half of the transport managers i see communicate with each other the way they do on facebook with operators and with drivers <laughs> i'm amazed they've still got a face in one piece yeah, yeah. to be perfectly honest yeah. <laughs> this is the other thing i don't know if it's worth saying about you can everything's publicly searchable of course which is a huge advantage we have so if you ever in doubt about someone's credentials you can just look them up and yeah. a lot of these people who can be quite intimidating and particularly if someone is unpleasant i find the people who are confident in what they're doing and enjoy their job don't need to go out of their way to make other people feel bad they'll always be the ones helping so yeah. if you've had a negative experience look up that person chances are they they've been banned or they've been to public inquiry and they're not able to practice or they've never held an operator's license or they don't currently, or they've done it years ago and they've got so fed up with it. They just want to be on Facebook and moan about it. And so, yeah, just don't be put off because I'm, I love this industry. I think it's a great industry to be in. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating job, especially as an external, seeing all the different things we see. Um, and yeah, be, be the new breed. If, if we can use that word, if we're old enough to use that word, are we? Yeah. <laughs> try and try and set it how we want to go forward from here into a better standard of, of the way people are treated and stuff. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Treat people the way uh, the way that you like to be treated or the way they like to be treated, actually, because yeah. everyone likes to be treated their own way and uh, try and work that out. I think with drivers, I think, you know, as you know, they're just 
we are them and they are us and we we have to work together right so um i think uh, i think there's a very important that we get on the right wavelength there's a there's a lot to be said for for training stuff i think um i can tell that you train your training transport manager cpc because you know it so in depth and i think when when you train something you you do learn it better though don't you so one of the best things i ever did you know being perfectly frank very early days i really struggled with driver's hours really really struggled it so i did um I, I started training it. I just put myself out there and I just started training it. I had subcontracted it um, to one of my other guys that I do work with and what have you. And he was doing a lot of the driver's hour stuff for me. And all of a sudden I was like, do you know what? I've just got to get, I do know this. I've just got to be confident. And sometimes it's around having that confidence to just grab the ball. And it's what you're talking about, about not being passive and just going, oh, I'm not really too sure about that. So I'll just kind of hope it goes away. Actually, you just got to take the ball by the horns. And now, you know, the guy who I used to rely on comes to me to check driver's hours because I just know it. And when you've been with drivers and, you know, I've trained thousands of driver's hours and had thousands of arguments and thousands, you know, and you just end up honing those skills of discussion. But, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those. I think there's, you get a lot from just getting involved and being positive and things will go wrong, right? I'll tell you what, I'm re- reading a really good book at the minute. You must read it. Called, uh, and I'm just going to overshare now for a bit. But um, there's a book called Meltdown. I've forgotten the name of the guy who wrote it, but it's about what happens when things go wrong and things melt down and when systems oh, collapse. Okay. Really, really good book. Really, really good book. And it talks about, I'm quite early on in it, but it talks about complexity and coupling, basically. So you've got complexity and coupling. And essentially, as things become more complex as a system becomes more complex and as it becomes more what they call tightly coupled which means there's less slack for things to go wrong mm-hmm. um essentially what happens is is when it starts to go wrong loads of little things go wrong which is what's called a meltdown and you don't actually know what the root cause is because actually there's so many little things firing off and it's because everything's so tightly coupled and um i, re- I actually recommend it for any of the transport managers listening to to read the book because you start to realise that whilst, and particularly as an ETM, I think when you're dealing with multiple operators, because what happens is, is when you're an internal TM and you're dealing with one business, you're dealing with one business. So the complexity can be, depending on the size of that business, it could be quite complex or it could be fairly straightforward, right? But essentially the coupling isn't so much of an issue because what you have is the moving parts of that transport system. There's one system that has moving parts. So essentially there's a bit more slack, right? So as a transport manager, you go on holiday and there might be someone to cover you or there might not, but essentially a lot of things might be able to wait a week or two weeks because it's just that that business and you've got a tight grip on it. But the challenge you've got as an ETM, when, once you add multiple moving parts and different stuff happening, that then tightens the slack. That then creates more complexity. It creates tighter coupling because actually there's less room for error because you've got so many different plates spinning. And then that is when catastrophe can happen. Yeah. So there we go. Read the book. <laughs> you could, and that's a podcast idea, Pete, your five top kind of management business related, because I, I could tell you're a reader just from the things you say, but yeah, I, I love, oh, okay, yeah. I love reading myself. I spend so long on Audible with all the miles we do. I get through some. Um, yeah. Audible two times speed, mate. That's the way to go. You do it two times, do you? Yeah. All right. Okay. That's it. There's a there. That's the challenge. It takes a little while. It's, it, they sound like chipmunks for a little bit, but then all of a sudden, your brain, your brain actually kind of it does just get into it. But it once you've 
got used to it genuinely try and listen you know a book you've read before listen to a book you've read before and just kind of tune into it once your brain operates with that um when you then start back down to one time speed it feels like they're talking really (laughs) slowly so yeah i listen to this back at two times mainly because i can't deal with my own voice Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I, I, I do admire that you managed to get your podcast done and out every, you know, so consistently every week that you do and all the different shows you do, like the Rush cast and stuff. It's really impressive. Yeah. I toyed with the idea for a while, but I just time. But maybe yeah. two times speed, people. That's what you need to do for the transport industry. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from driving, obviously. Apart from driving, yeah, yeah. Stick to your speed limit. <laughs> Yeah, just do your CPD at two times speed. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, it's been lovely chatting, Tom. You've been an absolute gent. Thank you very much for joining me. Tom, how do people, if they want to use your services, if they want to get in touch, I'm not in competition with you, mate. You are more than welcome to speak to my audience. No problem. Oh, that's very kind of you, Pete. And it has been a real pleasure today. I've really enjoyed our, our chat. So um, well, my company is called Green Candle Traction. Um, I am at greencandle.co.uk, but I don't have a website properly finished yet because I'm sure a lot of new businesses fall into that problem. But you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Tom Reddy, and on Facebook on the Transport Manager Groups. Um, when I fail to step away as I try and push myself off those groups as much as possible, but yeah. You can find me there. And I'm more than, well, you're more than welcome to drop me a, a message. I'll, I'll always help where I can. Spot on, Tom. I really, really appreciate you joining me. So thank you very much. I hope everyone's found that useful and catch you all soon. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmutt. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.